This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So good evening from Jerusalem, a little community online, uh, beaming from Christchurch, as uh, we wrestle and study with uh, what we normally be studying with the last words of Moses. Uh, because we're in the holiday season, we've been following and tracking the festivals. And uh, tonight's study is the uh, study on Sukkot, um, the things that are in the text and the traditions that come um, from outside the text and, uh, and the application that we can have um, as believers um, following a festival um, where a lot of the traditions have built up over time. I think we've actually seen that uh, as we've journeyed through looking at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The things that are in the text and the things that we do now and a lot of the meanings that we are attributed to them now um, build up over time. And that is something we have to acknowledge. There's also something that we can embrace. That is something that we can learn from. And, uh, and Sukkot is no exception there. So, uh, Brother Neville, would you be able to lead us in prayer as we acknowledge the Lord's presence, uh, as we wrestle with his festivals? Yes, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your mercy is new every morning. Lord, you understand our needs and our situations, and we bless you, Lord, for this opportunity to meet together to fellowship with one another, even at a distance, Lord, but to gather around your word. So we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be amongst us and revealing Jesus to us in fresh ways, we pray. We pray also that you would anoint Aaron as he shares the, his, his studies and his understanding. And Father, we pray that you may have the glory on all the glory. Amen. Amen. All right. Feast of Tabernacles is around the corner. Uh, what we call the Sukkot. It comes a very short five days after Yom Kippur. So the themes that we've had of repentance, the themes of forgiveness of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur now give way to themes of rejoicing and thanksgiving. And timing is not accidental. Lord, our God is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the God of the beginning and the God of the end. And so his calendar and his timing is no accident. Uh, and so it is interesting that this finishes the, uh, the, what, we did, what we call the Feast of the Lord. Yes, I know we have Hanukkah to come. Uh, uh, Hanukkah is one of those festivals that um, does not appear in Jewish literature. Yes, I know it's got one sentence in the Bible, uh, in, in John, but that does not explain to you what it is. Uh, the festival of Hanukkah is mentioned in Maccabees, but those are not in the Jewish canon. So essentially, this festival finishes the feasts of the Lord, not the other festivals that are added on to the Jewish, Jewish calendar. So the timing of, of Sukkot, coming at the end uh, of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and at the end of the three pilgrim festivals is no accident. So we will talk about that. So during the days of the, of the temple, 
the Sukkot was one of the three pilgrimage festivals. It's the last of the three big ones. Uh, and yet it is the only feast of the Lord, the only feast of the Lord that does not seem to commemorate a historical event. So we have um, Passover that commemorates Exodus. We have uh, Shavuot, which commemorates the giving of the Torah. We have Rosh Hashanah commemorating time and the beginning of the year. Yom Kippur commemorating atonement. But once you get to uh, Tabernacles, you scratch your head trying to figure out what exactly is this historically commemorating as um, uh, the text doesn't exactly say what it's for. Okay. I mean, Aaron, it gives a, it sort of yeah. alludes to the, the 40 days wandering in the wilderness and so the perpetual yes. care of the Lord. Sure, so that's sure. some of a context. It's the, it's the reason, yes, but it doesn't actually say the historical event because that's a long period of time. Yeah. Wait a second. Yeah. When, all right, so on Passover evening, God saves them. Yeah. And then he appears with them. And what's the name of the first town that they spend the night in? Sukkot. Yes. Yeah. He is there with them on that. And he's with them. He's literally right. there. That is something that has not happened since the garden. Right. Well, I don't argue yes. that as a historical event. You, you can view that as a historical event, absolutely. And, and most of us will probably agree with you. Um, however, in terms of a biblical calendar, you're, right. you're hard-pressed to go, we celebrate this because of that day, right? Yom Kippur's a day. Rosh Hashanah's a day. Shavuot's a day. Passover's a day. Once you get to Sukkot, long period of time. Okay. Right? There's, it, it, it's a holiday that is unlike other holidays. And it comes at the end of a series of holidays. And the whole point of time and the way God has arranged his calendar, hopefully in a, in a, in our, at the end of this session, we'll go, wow, that's amazing. I mean, he does a really good job uh, of, of doing the beginning and the end. Okay, so the Torah... Okay. The first five books of Moses give this festival two names. Right? The first time we encounter it is just very briefly in Exodus 34. Right? So in Exodus 34, verse, uh, where is it? 22. We get celebrate the Feast of Weeks, okay, celebrate Shavuot with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering okay, at the turn of the year. Okay. And, uh, and, and that's it. Woo Three times a year, everyone appears before the Lord. So the first um, name that it is given is the festival of ingathering being a harvest, a harvest festival. Okay. Um, great. And the next Time we get a name for it is in Leviticus, where it's called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. This, the word, actual word Sukkot appears. Now, each of these names, in gathering and Sukkot, give us a little bit of the reason for the festival. Now, today, the festival is incredibly rich in tradition and it's very rich in meaning. We'll explore some of those uh, soon. Okay. 
So many elements of the feasts of the Lord, and we're often reminded that these are the feasts of the Lord, not the feasts of Israel. Yes, they're often attributed to Israel because they're the ones keeping them. Um, However, the feasts of the Lord, they remind us of God's character. They remind us of his love and his promises to his people. And uh, so what is the command that we are to do this day? So let's read the commandment in Leviticus 23. There is another passage in Numbers, which is, is just lists all the sacrifices that you have to give. And the interesting thing about the Feast of Tabernacles is Sukkot has the most number of sacrifices out of all the festivals. I mean, you are going to kill more animals on this festival. I mean, this is definitely not um, an animal lover's dream. Yeah. Okay? And that's by, by a wide margin. It's, it's, yes, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but there's, again, reasons for this. So, so, so Numbers gives this long, long list and talks very little about it. Certainly doesn't even tell you to build a booth. But let's go into Leviticus um, and have a look. So the book of Exodus calls this the Feast of Ingathering, and that gives us a little hint of its agrarian part of the cycle. That's a harvest festival. Um, the harvests are collected. The storehouses are full. This is the most abundance that Israel would have uh, this, at, at, at any time now in the year. From this point on, we're heading into winter, and the supplies only diminish. So we're now at our peak right, of uh, bringing stuff into our storehouses. Um, and so now it's time to celebrate and to be generous. Then Leviticus comes along. And Leviticus says, Leviticus 23, verse 33, the Lord says to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month of the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. These are the appointed festivals which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord, the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, sacrifices, drink offerings required for each day. It doesn't describe them here. It lists them in numbers. These offerings are in addition to those of the law of the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of your land, this is the ingathering that you, you, we read about in Exodus 30, 34, celebrate the festival of the Lord for seven days. The first day is the day of Sabbath rest. The eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from uh, luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This will be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I am the, 
that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters, which I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. And that concludes the, the festivals. So this is the command, the mitzvah. The commandment for this festival is twofold. One, uh, build a booth. And two, grab, gather some, some plants. Okay. What's... Uh, what's there and what's not there? How's that? Does this give you much of a meaning for this festival? If this is the only information you had, what would you think you were doing? It's hard, isn't it? Having a, having a feast to the Lord. Yep, yeah, it's another festival. Okay, in in Leviticus, okay, this is the only festival that describes joy. In ex in in Deuteronomy, there's joy in all of them. Okay, you've got uh, remember Deuteronomy only mentions the pilgrimage festivals. Moses, in his last final speech, does not mention Rosh Hashanah. He doesn't mention Yom Kippur. doesn't talk about any of the others. He just mentions the three big ones. And uh, in each of them, it's rejoice. But in Leviticus, this is the festival that you get to rejoice. And this time you create a very interesting mitzvah, a very interesting commandment. Normally, all the other commandments, all 613, or the other 612, Okay, you give or do something outward. I help someone. I give charity. I protect. I don't tell a lie. I tell the truth. I, whatever it is, and it's it's a it's a outward me to something else. In in this one, this one you 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 do a mitzvah, and the mitzvah surrounds you. You build a, a tabernacle and then you go inside it and it, it surrounds you. Mm. It's, a, it's not a permanent structure. You're not building an extension on your house. You're not filling in the mere peset that you're going to be able to, your balcony so that you can live on it for the next uh, 364 days of the year. Okay? This is meant to be a flimsy structure. Uh, the, the, it doesn't even say exactly how. It just says construct one. And the tradition, the tradition is you build a flimsy structure with a minimum of three sides, potentially one side completely open, uh, although most of them now have little doors and locks and all kinds of things. Um, the roof is made of thatch or, or um, uh, branches so that it can provide shade during the day from the sun, but it's possible at night to be able to see the stars. And, uh, and it says, you know, um, and you're supposed to sleep in it or live in it for seven days and seven nights. Um, Ashkenazis, Ashkenazi Jews tend not to sleep in their sukkahs. Sephardi Jews tend to sleep in their sukkahs. Now, what would be the difference between those two big groups? It's pretty obvious. Uh, 
warm countries and cold countries. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. The weather. The weather. The uh, those. You know, it's very hard if you're an Ashkenazi Jew living in Norway uh, to to actually do this commandment without killing yourself. All right. Um, whereas if you happen to be, you know, in Morocco. Um, you know, uh, it's probably a really nice idea. Let's go outside and then live in this little thing because it'd be a lot cooler. Um, so you tended to find Sephardis actually sleep in them and Ashkenazis are eating them. Yes, they will uh, sing in them, dance in them, invite all your friends in them. There is no commandment to pray in them, although you can because you actually pray anywhere. You can pray on the street, you can pray in a bus, you can pray in your sukkah, but there's no commandment that says, go into your sukkah and pray. So what people do when they build their um, sukkot, they still go to the synagogue to pray, okay? Like, you don't, you don't gather everybody and say, hey, let's have our minyan in the, in the, in the sukkah. Some might, but most will still go to the local uh, Beit Knesset and, um, and worship there. The command... There's not a lot of commands for this festival and, and really doesn't give you a heck of a lot of meaning. Just says, just is to remind you that you were in the desert wandering. Okay. Great. A lot of the meanings in the tradition will come about because we have to look at these texts and start to scratch. To why do we do this? And, and, uh, and, and why don't we do certain things? Okay, so this is a very interesting mitzvah. The mitzvah surrounds you, okay? which is full of meaning there. Okay, God brought his people out of Egypt. He surrounded them with his cloud. He defended them. He lived inside their community and he guided them. They're very interesting little metaphors there. Yes, Bernardo, go for it. Does it usually rain during Sukkot? Well, it depends Jerusalem? On no. Some, not really, but it can, depending on the, on the year. Um, nice. this, is the, this is the festival that traditionally you pray for rain. Right? Um, you're really hoping that the Lord will bring rain. In fact, um, tradition has it that, and it's actually recorded, that the high priest would go into the temple during Sukkot And he would say um, a very special prayer that went something like this. Blessed are you, the Lord our God, King of the universe. Please do not listen to the prayer of the traveler. <laughs> okay, what's, the, what's, the, what's the traveler wanting? No, no rain. rain. No rain. And what, and what are the people living in Israel want? Rain. rain. Yes, they're saying, dear Lord, whatever you do this time, don't listen to that guy. Okay. So... Um, uh, it's an interesting, interesting, interesting mm -hmm. prayer. So we're all hoping that it rains. Uh, it might not. Um, uh, where, where some of our friends right now live in uh, North Dakota, they get snow. So guess what they're not doing usually uh, out in their sukkah, okay? Unless, of course, they're brought in the thermal lamps and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It all depends on where, where you are. Um, So okay. Is, um, is there on, snow in Mexico at this time? Uh, sorry, uh, rain in Mexico? It's still raining, yeah. Oh. And up in the mountains, it's going to be even rainier, I think. Yes. So the it's tradition... Because of the hurricane season. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe your sukkahs had to be a little bit more permanent then for the everybody else's blow away. Yeah, waterproof. Um, 
Yeah, or definitely waterproof. So each each different community is actually building different types of sukkahs because of, of uh, their their uh, climates, and the text the text itself doesn't tell you exactly how to do it. This is but one, but it is an interesting mitzvah that it surrounds you. The okay, so in in now like the question in in verse forty three. Uh, yeah. So are we supposed to kind of like learn about the Exodus during this week? Okay, that's a good, good question. I'm going to uh, hopefully at the end of this little, uh, little discussion, um, we'll see what I mean by it's no accident that Sukkot comes at the end. Um, because yes, it's all linked as the author and finisher of our faith, as the God who is completely in control of time and has arranged his festivals in a certain order, there is a reason why you have redemption at Passover, coming to instruction and the Torah at Shavuot, finishing with thanksgiving and rejoicing. There's a progression and there's going to be a follow-on after that. It also follows repentance and forgiveness. We repent, receive forgiveness. We now go into thanksgiving and rejoicing. The timing is not an accident. The other part of the, the commandment in Leviticus is to gather the four species of the produce from the land. Okay? So what Jewish people carry today, they call the lulav and the etrog. But those are not words you actually find in the Bible. What are the words we find in the Bible? Very good question, Rory. So Leviticus says, gather pre-etzhadar, gather fruit from splendid trees, wonderful trees, uh, whatever that is, okay? whatever an etzhadar is. Um, and it says, gather palm branches, tamarim, Gather leafy, leafy trees, it's avot, and gather willows from the brook, okay? Arve uh, nachal. That's what it says, okay? So, it's hadar, tamorim, it's avot, ve nachal. It's actually a later Talmudic tradition that identifies that as a citrus, okay, which we today call an etrog, most of which are not actually grown in Israel, okay? Most etrogs that we buy in Israel today actually are grown in Spain and Italy, right? That it's not something that actually grows here a lot. It's, we've incorporated it. We're doing it right now. There's going to be rich meaning. Hopefully, we'll explain it. But it's not a word you find in the Bible. Etrog doesn't exist there. It does today, but not in the Bible. Okay. So, do you know roughly when this dates from this tradition, the Talmudic tradition? I, I have looked for it. The, Tal the Talmud is about, depending on when... So, what's a willow... Okay, I'll get, I'll get to the other bits in a minute, uh, Bernardo. It's 400s to 500s is your Talmudic tradition, is, is where you begin to have this discussion. Why do we gather or what... No, not begin to have the discussion they begin to write the discussion down. Yeah. That's the right way to say it. 
the discussion probably was alive and well in the second temple period because it's going to show up in the New Testament. But the actual physical writing it down is 4th and 5th century. Sorry, 5th and 6th century. Um, so, So we have an etrog. We have the frond of a date palm. Now, the date palm is a tamarind, but the frond of it is called a lulav. Okay. That's where you get the name from. Okay. The, the leaves of a myrtle tree called hadas, okay. they call that leafy trees. And the branch of a willow, the arabay or the araba. Okay. And so the palm, the myrtle, and the willow are tied together, and that is called today a lulav. And then you have an etrog. So three are tied together in one, and one is separate. From the text in Leviticus, does it tell you why you gather these particular items? No, it does not. It's one of those commands that just says, gather these things. Okay. But the text is incredibly blank on why. But of course, if you've got a five-year-old kid and you bring home branches of trees and a lemon, which cost you about 60 shekels, the most expensive lemon you're ever going to buy, you can't figure out whether you're religious or stupid, okay? Um, and, and then your kid goes, uh, why have you got that, Abba? What are you going to say? You've got, and so you create the text itself is incredibly blank, and so we can build on some wonderful tradition, and we are, we notice its timing at the end of the the cycle of festivals. We notice these things that are that are included in it, so we begin to learn and we begin to teach, and uh, uh, and we'll we'll get. I'll have to say one more thing, and then we'll go into all these meanings. Have a guess what wonderful book we get to read at this festival. I mean, at Passover, we get to read Song of Songs, okay? We get to read a love story as God is smiting the Egyptians. You know, in in, in Yom Kippur, we discuss Jonah and the repentance of Gentiles, you know, which you know, Jonah himself doesn't even repent. It's the nation of Gentiles does. Um, you know, at, at, at Rosh Hashanah, we read the, the Akidah story. There's, we've got lots of things. Why do we read Ecclesiastes Kohelet at this time? Why do you think? I mean, if we're honest, the book of, of Ecclesiastes does not seem to have a heck of a lot of joy in it. Uh, to be read at a festival all about joy and thanksgiving and rejoicing. Okay. What's the first couple, what's what's the first sentence in Ecclesiastes? I mean, we all know it's actually verse 2. But um, if someone said the book of Ecclesiastes, you would respond with? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There you go. Yeah. Uh, what does the ESV have? Is it, does it have? Does it say it like that? Uh, I think it says meaningless. Meaningless. Yes, that would be the right, right phrase. But what does it say? Do you mind reading it out? Verses one and two. Sorry, I'm just getting there. 
Oh no, no, it goes for it goes for the vanities one. Okay. I think it's the NIV that's got meaningless in it. Yeah, vanity of vanities says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in Hebrew, okay, Debre uh, Kohelet, which is the reason why the the book is called Kohelet, because uh, Solomon is identifying self, himself as the Kohelet. Okay, Ben David, Melech Yerushalayim. So he's the son of David, the king of Jerusalem, most likely uh, Solomon. Okay, so okay, so Hivel Havalim, Amar Kohelet, Hakol Havalim, Hakol 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 Hevel. Yep, at a direct, at a direct translation, you could definitely say that this book, the way you translate it is, everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But there is one other way that you can possibly read this text. Any ideas? That Hevel can be something that moves on. It, it comes and then it goes. That's, that's, <laughs> true. that's true. That's that's one way. That's one, one, one understanding of Hevel. It's, it's not constant. Mm-hmm. Everything passes. Okay, everything passes. That's another good way, Bernardo. Yep. Okay. Um, in biblical Hebrew, how do you ask a question? Anyone know? Okay, his Hebrew speakers. Okay, this is not <laughs> go, Kaylee. It's all you, baby. Okay, you have to have a ha in there. Shalti. Shalti. Hashalom lecha. How is your peace? Uh. Right. There's no punctuation in Hebrew. Which means one way of reading this text is to do it direct. Everything is meaningless. The other way, because there is a ha, in fact, ha appears actually four times in this sentence. It is possible to turn this into a question. Meaningless, meaningless, ha kol hevel? Is everything meaningless? Now, boy, does that change the direction of the book, doesn't it? Isn't that interesting? Again, I only discovered that um, about a week ago. uh, And I had to to double-check. The way you form a question in biblical Hebrew is to put a ha. So, um, hakol hevel? Is, is a potential way of reading this text. Meaningless, meaningless. Is everything meaningless? Or is it not? Because as you rightly said, Kaylee, this passes. It starts, it might not be good, but it doesn't stay that way. It continues on. And what about putting a question mark and then it will be much clearer? Yes, I know. That would have been really good if they could have done that. But they didn't invent question marks back then. So, so it, it is an interesting text. It changes the entire way of reading, reading Ecclesiastes. So I suggest that over the next week of Sukkot, the eight days, how about um, 
we read we read Ecclesiastes in your own time, but read it more like a question. Okay, as the guy sits, sits down, the wisest of men sits down and says, "Really, is everything meaningless?" It kind of looks that way. It looks like whether you're good or you're bad, you'll die. It looks like um, uh, it, the nothing ever seems to go right. It doesn't seem that anything's actually fair, whether you're smart or, or, or dumb or rich or poor or male or female. And so he asked the question: Is it actually meaningless? Am I actually seeing? the actual truth or is there something else yeah i think the conclusion in in chapter 12 kind of gives it away the punchline of ecclesiastes yes it does yeah yes. so i won't spoil it <laughs> no 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 that's that's the correct way I, he he does and i think that um i think the wisest of men is uh, is actually asking the question and he comes up with the fear of the lord right this is the beginning of this and uh, uh there's another, can I just recommend to folk that there's a really good uh, online video done by the Bible Project on Ecclesiastes, and they talk about Hevel and as a vapor and that kind of thing. But I find it really quite useful. So if you're interested, if you like that kind of thing, yeah. it's, I think, probably a five or ten minute one anyway. But it's, uh, it, it is, they, they explain it quite well, yeah. but, but, but not with this extra little bit about the question, I don't think. Yeah, uh, it was, um, it's, it's, it's not, I'm, gonna, I'm going to admit it is not a common Jewish commentary, okay? Uh, however, it is there. You, do, you, you will find it in little footnotes in, in commentaries where they say, but because of the ha, you can say this as a question. But then they go on to talk about how Havel doesn't last and it all passes, and they tend to focus on, on that, okay? But, um, but it is possible to read this as a question. And I have a suspicion that that might be the way we're supposed to do it. Okay. Eric? So, um, yeah, go, Roddy. Uh, it's a question I'm not clear about. <laughs> I'm told we are commanded during Sukkot to, uh, to be joyful, to, to celebrate. Does this come from verse 40 that we just read? Yes, it does. Is that where it comes from? So uh, we're commanded to be happy to... to be joyful. Yes, when we're in Leviticus, this is the this is the festival that you're commanded to have joy. Uh, when you get to Deuteronomy, you have joy all the time. But at this time, in terms of God's timing, we're meant to have joy. And and when when we when we begin to wrap up the timing phrase, hopefully we'll see why or why this is, why God punches in and says, you know, everyone be happy. All right, so let's go to. Yep. They go a little, little. They exaggerate a little bit on the vino, on the wine. Well, I don't know if that's a bad thing. Okay. Yeah, what's wrong with that? <laughs> okay, I uh, thought that was purim. Uh, that's a, yeah, uh, purim is the one where you're commanded to get drunk, but uh, that's again just a rabbinical, rabbinical command. Um. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so um, why why gather four species? What possible meaning can come out of that okay so any ideas off the top of your head guys a sense of universalness you know the four corners of the earth the four winds four species yeah that's a good one four is an incredibly important number in judaism you you have the four winds of heaven you have when the angels guard god they have four faces um uh there are, there are four cups of wine at Passover. 
the son asks the father four questions. Okay, um, once you get to the parable of the soils, there are four soils and there are four gospels. Right, there are not five. There's not three. There's four. In fact, the number of the gospels themselves is a testament to the Jewishness of the New Testament. Right, is uh, that it is it just fits within that uh, that picture of four. Okay. Um, when you when when uh, there is no physical explanation in the text that says this is the reason why you gather four species. So if you have no uh, obvious reason, what are you allowed to do in Jewish tradition? Uh, invent. Invent. Make it up. Begin exegesis extraordinaire. You may now say anything that doesn't go against Peshat. Okay. Yeah, I would have thought one thing that, that you could quite reasonably say is that you're gathering these branches for your sukkah. To you could, yeah, that could be it. You know, God says, look, you know, you need to build something. I'll, I'll, I'll point out some obvious materials for you. Okay, shove these on top of your roof. Um, could be as simple as that. But, you know, you know if, you're, if you're a Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago, you, you've, got to, you've got to have a reason why God would, would, would utter these words. And so they, they look and say that these um, four things, these four species, the, uh, the Abba Menim, they actually represent different personalities that are in the community of Israel. These are, and so the Pirkei Avot will begin by saying there are four types of disciples in the world. And they notice that each of these uh, elements has either a taste or a smell and only one of them has both. So you have um, the willow, which has neither a smell or a taste. You have the myrtle, the hadas, which has no smell but has a taste. And the palm has a nice smell but has no, has no taste. But the etrog, the, the citrus, has both a nice smell and a nice taste. And so taste and smell become two parts or two keys in the kingdom of heaven, faith and action. And as a disciple, you have to have both. You can't have just faith and no action. You certainly can't have any action and no faith. And you can't have either. If, you, if, you, if you're nothing, then well, you're, you're in real trouble. But the faith without works is dead, so you should have both. Blessed is he who hears my words and does them and puts them into practice. He who loves me will keep my commandments, as uh, Jesus says in John 14. And then he goes on to say, and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him, which is a very nice thought. And so the, uh, the tradition that you have today is you gather the four species and you use them as part of your prayer life over the next couple of days. Uh, and this represents three disciples are tied together, each one having only one aspect of uh, faith and works or none, and you hold them in one hand. And the etrog, which is the disciple who has both faith and deeds, he sits all by himself, and you put them together and you push them to your chest. And as part of your prayers, 
you wave them around in a variety of different ways uh, as part of your prayer life, reflecting on this is the type of disciple that I want to be. I want to be this disciple. In fact, you often go around Sukkot just sniffing the etrog, okay, which actually looks kind of weird for about a week, smelling lemons. Um, and, and, but it's, you're meant to do so as a memorial to try and remind you that, uh, that oh, this is the type of disciple that you actually want to be. Uh, the same sort of idea is what you, uh, shows up in the four soils in the Gospel of Luke, that the first three soils it didn't quite work. They almost got there in one case, but not quite. But the, 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 the disciple, the soil that had both faith and deeds, well, that, that soil reaped a harvest. And, uh, and so the, they, they've taken uh, these four species and they've given them a really nice meaning. However, that's not in the Bible. We are discussing tradition and tradition isn't inherently a bad thing. So... Uh, during Sukkot, uh, every morning you pray what's called the Hallel, which is a series of Psalms, Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. And uh, you just, it's just an added part of um, the, the prayer cycle. Prayed in a synagogue, not in, not in Sukkah. Uh, you're meant to invite people into your Sukkah. Uh, now, why would you do that? I mean, the, the, the Bible doesn't say, please invite friends and neighbors into your Sukkah. But you do, that's part of the tradition. So traditionally, what are you expecting to happen? Hey, Kaylee, come on, you're Israeli. When, 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 you, when your dad invited people over to sit under their sukkah, what was he expecting to happen? Did he ever tell you? Well, I think it's pretty sad to just have a few people. You want to gather as much people yeah. as possible. And for my father, my Moroccan father, it's yeah. eight brothers and sisters that they have kids. They have kids. So it's so a your big sukkah was quite big, was it? Yeah. Okay. Like three sukkahs together. The three sukkahs. Join them together. Okay. And excellent. Yeah, our neighbors have got a real big one. I mean, it's, it's, but they're on um, Baghdadi, so I'm, we're expecting quite the crowd uh, over the next week. The tradition is that you, you run around and you invite people, including strangers, not just family. Okay, it's a tradition, might not be as clearly followed uh, today, but in the Mizrahi world, uh, invite strangers. Why? because you may entertain one of the seven Ushpazin. Uh, you heard of these guys? Anyone it's seen the movie Ushpazin? Yeah, I've seen some of it. It's a great movie, recommended for everybody, okay? And uh, uh, the Ushpazin, Aramaic word, not a Hebrew word, Ushpazin, so it comes from uh, the late Second Temple period, early, early New Testament New Testament period, that sort of 200, 200, where Aramaic was really thriving and was appearing in lots of Talmudic texts, okay, uh, including Bible. New Testament includes lots of Aramaic words. The seven Ushpazin are the seven holy shepherds of Israel, okay? So you've got Abraham, okay, uh, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Joseph, 
uh, Moses, uh, help me out here, David. Who's another one? There's got to be a seventh guy in there. It stops at David. Solomon's never a shepherd. It, it talks about the seven patriarchs who were actually shepherds. They actually were physical shepherds. Um, and so they were the ones that were the shepherds of Israel because they were actually real shepherds of sheep as well. But they are the seven holy shepherds. Uh, Solomon was not a shepherd and he ended up not Shaul. Did you say Shaul? Shaul. Ah, then Shaul, one of the seven shepherds. And so the tradition is that while you invite a stranger, might actually be one of them. They might come and visit a nice little Jewish home and come and sit and eat and, and celebrate in your, in your sukkah. Eat, talk, bless, enjoy, pray, dance, sing, you know, all those kinds of things. And um, that same idea is mentioned in Paul. What does Paul say about, uh, about welcoming strangers? My welcome angels. Correct. Where does he get this idea? It's a second temple period idea that invite the strangers. You may be welcoming angels unawares. Uh, particularly, is that a reference to Genesis 18 and Abraham? Correct. That's a, it's where you get that idea, is that, that the angelic world actually can come and visit uh, and, and socialize with you, including eating and drinking. So at Passover, you're really expecting Elijah. At Sukkot, you're expecting the uh, seven, the seven Ushpazin. Okay, so, so um, around this time, when you say when you say Shaul, is it Melech Shaul you're talking about? Yeah. Now I know in the Western tradition, we are, we always think of Shaul as bad, 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 bad. Okay, so. In, the, in Jewish exegesis, they compare him to other kings. How many wives does Shaul have? There's one. Um, one. How many wives does King David have? Oops. I don't know, eight. Oh. Yeah. So Shaul really, 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 really wants to talk to God. They can't. <laughs> so he, res he, he goes to a... Um, a, a witch and he resurrects Samuel and Samuel turns around to him and says tomorrow you're going to go out to battle and you and your sons are going to die okay so if you got a message from a spirit that you happen to just resurrect that you were going to walk across the street tomorrow and get hit by a big red bus guess what you don't do don't walk you across don't the leave street. your house, right? You go, oh, I've just been told I'm going to leave my house and go across the street and get hit by a bus. Guess what I'm not doing tomorrow? I'm staying right in my bedroom. In fact, I'm not even getting out of bed. I'm going to pull up the covers and stay there all day. But what does Saul do? Even though mm -hmm. he's been told he is going to go out and fight and die, he still does it. So they look at his character. He's got flaws, absolutely. But so is King David. And both are murderers, both got all kinds of flaws, but Saul's still faithful to his one wife. And while he had some issues, at the end, proved true repentance because he said, I'm still going to go out and defend Israel, even though I'm going to lose. And so they look at his character and they say, not that bad. He's bad, but he's not that bad. <laughs> and so, um, so we, we often, in the, unfortunately, in a lot of our 
uh, Christian traditions, we, we tend to focus on his negative characteristics and make him out to be just a bad guy. And that's actually not fair. Certainly isn't the way Jewish exegesis looks at him. Okay? Um, we will say Solomon, the wisest of men, is great. The, the Talmud will say that he's not in heaven. He's an idolater. No idolaters are in heaven. And you, and you scratch your head and go, oh, my gosh, what? You just kicked Solomon out of heaven? So, yeah. So we have to put it, all, put it all into context and put it all in things. So he is, he is one of them. He's one of them. Okay. They, they, they even got streets named after him in Jerusalem. Okay. Um, Shaul Amelef. And they don't see it as a negative, a negative guy. He's got issues. But... Um, but they, but they will focus on some of his positive characteristics and say Aaron. we should emulate them too. Yes, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, so does this ex- got a great name, by the way? Thank you. Uh, it's got me many places. But as it, uh, is that some of the explanation for why the uh, Apostle Paul or Saul, as he's known in Hebrew, and they weren't afraid to name him that? Uh, because you don't see too many um, of the wicked king's names being repeated. No right. One Children after wicked people. Yes, we don't. We don't. We don't ever call our kids uh, Ahab or Omri or anything. Right. But we, do call, we do call our yes. There are rabbi in in the Talmud. You have other rabbi Shauls. They're very happy to name him because he has some positive characteristics. And Rabbi Ishmael. Okay. Hmm. Today, you'd probably be pretty hard pressed to find a Jewish kid called Ishmael. Yeah. Okay. Right. But in the Second Temple period, you had him. And, um, and some of them even became rabbis, and they actually have uh, are mentioned in the Talmud. And so they didn't, they didn't leap to, to, find neg- to focus on the negative characteristics of a person. They, they, they also looked at some of the more positive sides and said, what can we learn from them? So as a shepherd of Israel, he, has a, he had, does have some positive characteristics. He is faithful to his spouse. He only has the one wife. He is brave as a soldier. And, uh, and he does do his duty, even though he knew he was going to lose. He still right. would, would stand up and say, I'm the king, and I've got to go out and lead my people into battle, even if I'm going to lose. Right. He just tended to let his fear of man overcome his fear of God at times. That, yes. And so there's a lot of lessons to learn in that one. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, where are we at? So, we've done the, uh, the four species. Now, let's go into timing, okay? This festival comes at the end of, uh, of, of two, two periods of time. Let's start with the most immediate. We've just had Rosh Hashanah, which focuses on repentance. We've just had Yom Kippur, which focuses on forgiveness and, and the relationship, forgiving each other to get that uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness, as we remember, is universal. Forgiveness is communal, right? Forgiveness is a change in behavior. Very shortly on, we, we approach rejoicing and thankfulness and gratitude. So put that together theologically, guys, for me. What does that look like? Here's how I like to look at it. I don't know if it's correct. There's a loud blast, blowing of the horns. Wake up. Ten days, get prepared. You're going to become clean, or at least you're going to be, hopefully you will repent, and then you will have three days to prepare yourself 
to tabernacle with the Lord. Yep, you'll have five. Yeah, five. five. Five days. Yep. Uh, that takes away from what I wanted to do. I have to <laughs> Fair enough. Get, your, get the three-day resurrection thing. Yeah. I like where you're going with it, Roddy. That was awesome. Well, not only that, but at Sinai also, he, yeah, he yeah, Moses yeah. To tell them to get to get prepared because that was going to be the wedding. Yeah, it, at Sukkot, which has the most number of sacrifices, in the yeah. end you end up offering seventy bulls during the week. Okay, now what does that number represent? Nations. The nations. Correct. The nations. So, who has repented according to the Book of Jonah? The Assyrians. The Goyim. The Goyim, yeah. the nations. Okay. Who's going to be thankful of the, of, of the repentance? The nations. Okay. Repentance is available to everyone. Forgiveness is available to everyone. And then the response to repentance, the response to forgiveness is gratitude, rejoicing, and repentance uh, and, and thanksgiving. So Sukkot comes deliberately in this in this chain of events repentance forgiveness our response gratitude and thanksgiving next thing uh the three pilgrim festivals what's the first one this redemption yes huh. you are you get redemption you get salvation then the next one is receiving of the Salvador. torah Correct. You don't get the Torah before you get redeemed. You get redeemed and saved, and then you get the Torah. God doesn't show up to the children of Israel in, in, in Egypt and say, here, here's a system of laws. Uh, can you guys keep it? I'll come back, and when you've kept it, I'll redeem everybody. It's I redeem you. Now I introduce. Now I give you my laws. What's the next festival out of the three festivals? Thanksgiving, rejoicing. So redemption, instruction, our response, thanksgiving, gratitude. And what is the best way to be thankful? What's the best way to be grateful to somebody? Do something they like. There you go, Roddy. Yes. Do what they like. The highest form of thankfulness, the highest form of gratitude is to say, you know what? I like the way you think. You got some good instructions. In my gratitude, in my thankfulness, I will obey. Highest form of gratitude is actually obedience. And the blessing that comes from all of this is that God's going to dwell with you. Okay, is that God, God says, okay, you, you, you build a tabernacle, a mishkan for me, I'm going to come and live with you. You build a bunch of, of tabernacles, we'll all tabernacle together. It's going to be one big, giant, happy family because I have redeemed you. I've given you my instructions. Now it's time for thankfulness and, and rejoicing and subsequent obedience. There is repentance when you blow it, but you will get forgiven. This forgiveness is for everybody. And we're going to tell the nations because we're going to kill a bull for every single one of them. Everybody gets to, to be thankful. Everybody gets to turn into obedience. Okay? The obedience doesn't get you out of Egypt. The obedience doesn't get you the redemption. God is the author and finisher. 
He starts the redemption with Passover. He finishes it by dwelling with us at Tabernacles. As, as it says in John 14, okay, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and my father will love them and we will come and we will live with you. Right? Now, that is absolutely beautiful. That's the blessing. The blessing uh, of all of this uh, system, of, of uh, all of this series of feasts, is that God is going to live with his people. I mean, that is a, a, a fantastic blessing. And so timing, it is not an accident that it, it shows up at the end of Yom Kippur. It is not an accident that this is the last of the three pilgrim festivals. It is not an accident that we have to get four species together. We don't really know what it's for. But faith and action to be the etrog. So if any of you actually are going to be holding on to your little lulavs over the next week, just remember that when you do during the week, you pick up that little lemon, your most expensive lemon you'll ever buy, and you smell it, and, uh, and that reminds you this is the type of disciple that I'm going to be. I'm going to be thankful for all the incredible things that God has done. He's saved me. He's redeemed me. He's, he's allowed me to repent and I've been forgiven. I've been assured of my forgiveness. Right? Yom Kippur says, you will be clean. Leviticus 16, right? You will be clean. Your sins will be clean. That is an incredibly powerful assurance. And then our response is joy. I will receive your Torah and I'll put it into practice. I might not understand it all at the time, but I'm going to figure it out along the way. I'm going to build a bunch of traditions that come along that help me to um, uh, uh, unpack some of the meanings of what, what, what's in the text. Um, and, and all along the way, uh, I'm going I'm to learn something about God. The last day of Sukkot is called uh, Hoshana Rabbah, okay, the great salvation. Okay, that's day seven. It's just it's the day before um, Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah is another one of those traditions that show up. Okay? And uh, uh, Hoshana Rabbah, the tradition is, don't ask me where it came from, I have no idea. Just like that prayer we, I read out in the Jewish prayer book in, in Yom Kippur, on Hoshana Rabbah, you gather together and the Chazan, the, the reader, he stands up and he reads out Psalm 88. Anyone know what Psalm 88 is? Yeah, it's the most profound lament in the book, which doesn't end with a rejoicing. Correct. Yes. Um, it's, an, it's an incredibly powerful psalm, particularly if you ever come to, the, to Israel, and I, I know some of you have been, please come again. Um, my wife's a great cook. You're all welcome. Uh, you go to uh, St. Peter's in Galakantu and you hop down into a deep well and you read Psalm 88. And it just speaks of what the Messiah is doing. So isn't that interesting? A day called Hoshana Rabbah, the great salvation. And out of all the Psalms you pick for that day, you read Psalm 88. And then the next, the next day, or Simchat Torah, you have a deliberate prayer for guess who do you want to come? Messiah. Messiah, yes. 
you gather the whole Torah together, you thank God for giving, again, thankfulness, for giving you these instructions, and then you dance around the Torah. Often they have produced new ones throughout the year. And then at the end of the conclusion of all your singing and dancing and thankfulness, you hold your hands up to heaven and you yell out literally, Mashiach, 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 three times. That's right, where it comes from. Okay, and it's the most amazing thing when they do it down at the Western Wall. All right, they sometimes even pick up the Torah and they hold it up and they start yelling out, Mashiach, 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 come now. So you end up with this incredible, you can see the pattern that is being built into the Feast of the Lord. God is the author, He starts this and He finishes this. Okay, and our response should be one of thankfulness, our response should be one of gratitude, and of course, joy. Who doesn't like to get saved? I do. Okay, who doesn't like being able to be able to live forever in the presence of the Lord? Okay, me. Great things to rejoice. But true gratitude leads to obedience. Uh, it, it actually does. And, the, and obedience is not a burden. That's the other thing that I've also learned uh, in my, how long have I been here? 22 years? 22 years of living in this, in this city is that um, I don't actually know that many Jews walking around with sad expressions on their faces going, oh, my gosh, the Torah is so painful. I can't believe I'm Jewish. I wish I was a German. You know, um, they, they, no one seems to say that kind of stuff, right? Um, that it's the, the uh, and the Messiah himself says, my commandments are not burdensome. The, 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 what we sometimes, we sometimes, and, I, and I'm saying we here as a, as a general, both Jews and Gentiles, we sometimes forget the spirit of the law as opposed to just the letter of the law. And uh, next week when we go back to studying the last words of Moses, we're going we're gonna to leap into um, uh, Deuteronomy 17, which begins by um, killing people, okay? Namely, hey, what do you know? Adulterers and, uh, and idol worshippers, okay? But, and if you go, oh, my gosh, did this actually really happen? Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. But did that really happen? Like, for example, Shimshon, my brother, let's pretend yeah. I do something bad and in an accident I take out your eye. Eye for an eye. What are you supposed to do to me? Take yours out too. Yes, okay. But what happens if I've only got one eye? Then we, we all look so miserable and we're sad. <laughs> yeah, it says eye for an eye. Okay, I get it. But what happens to the guy only got one eye? I mean, really? You've still got one eye, but can we take yeah, his only other eye. eye and he's got no eye and then he can't feed his family and feed his kids? I mean, so even, even I know what the letter of the law says. And so when you read rabbinical commentaries, they often go, on, we know what it says, but not what it means. They, and so they look for the spirit of the law not just the letter of the law, but their rule, or it's supposed to be a rule, and it's not always, okay, we have to admit that on all levels, both Jews and Gentiles, um, yeah. it's not allowed to go against Peshat. Sometimes our rulings do. 
So we don't let the guy get off scot-free. We form some other form of punishment. But, um, uh, and so it's, a, it's been a, an interesting thing uh, to go and, and read some of these texts, like this one, very blank. Why build a sukkah? Okay, remember that you were in the wilderness. All right. Well, what happened to us in the wilderness? What were some of the great miracles that happened to us while we were out there? Manna. Yes, we got fed every day from the bread of heaven. Every day we, we also, got water from a rock. We also had the cloud that we was had, the sukkah that was following them. We, we had God himself being our sukkah. Okay? Wow. He defended us. He guided us. He protected us. Our clothing didn't wear out. Whenever the enemies came, when Amalek came, God went and fought for us. And so the sukkah, the, the meaning of it is a lot more than just let's build a booth and we'll go live outside and we'll look up to heaven and we'll all go, oh, my, my real home is somewhere else. That is one way of looking at it, but that's not the only way. God is constantly providing. God is constantly defending. God is constantly surrounding. God is constantly guiding. God is constantly redeeming. God is constantly giving you new instruction. God is constantly accepting repentance. God is constantly providing forgiveness. And God is constantly expecting rejoicing and thankfulness in return. And so uh, there's a lot there. And Aaron, I also believe that it's um, tried to increase our uh, gratitude to God by making us to remember where we're coming from. Because the sukkah is a kind of humble kind of um, um, place where you live. Um, but now people are living in their houses. And yeah. um, within that week, they're going to go back to the sukkah. And so that they can remember that, wow, it, it wasn't all rosy. We, we, were, we were this. I yeah. mean, we're not the best people and things like that. That is, that is definitely one aspect of it. That is, that is one, one aspect of, uh, of the holiday. Not the only one, but it's definitely one of them. Yeah. It's, it's, to, it's, a, it's to get away from materialism. And, uh, and you have to admit, we could all do with a little bit more of that. Right? The, the, yeah. For yeah. a brief moment in time to turn around and say, you're right. Honestly, this material, materialism, the things that I have, they're really not as important as I think that they are. I mean, they seem important. They, we do have to look after them, but you've got to put them in the right perspective and so this aspect of Sukkot does, does give us that too. So you know, we Aaron, have, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, one thing no, for me, God always wanted, has always wanted to build a house and dwell among us, Emmanuel. Yes. And from the Garden of Eden, we know that, and they, they didn't obey. Uh, they didn't rejoice and obey in his word. And I mean, in the sense of, 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 of obe obedience, but uh, so, so they were taken out and exiled and the exile kept going until we get to Babylon. And then God called Abraham and called him back to the same area that they fell and said, now I want you to build a house. Eventually his descendants, a house for me. And uh, then we have the whole history of the tabernacle. And then eventually, of course, the temple is here, but he's always wanted to dwell among us. His name is Emmanuel. At the end in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it says, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So it's been in the heart of, of God ever since the very beginning is to tabernacle, to Sukkot with him, to be with him. Ever since Adam and Eve, the exile then comes Always. back and building the tabernacle, building the house. And then eventually 
And I think that's great. The tying in, I hadn't, I hadn't discovered that was a very nice revelation of the three and ending with this, uh, the rejoicing in tabernacle. And I think it just fits so perfectly in the heart of the God. And at the end, we will eternally tabernacle with him. So very Absolutely. nice. And, and also this is the reason why I think that we will actually be celebrating all the feasts in the new world because um, you know, God has done amazing things and he doesn't like to forget um, or he doesn't like us not to remember. Um, the, the last thing I want to say just briefly on the tabernacle bit, God built the Mishkan. The Mishkan was made out of what material? Skin. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did it take to build the tabernacle? Nine months. Nine months, right? And when you read Exodus and you read that, you go, oh, my gosh. So God lived inside skin that took nine months to build. Um, the patterns that he keeps setting up in his festivals and his commands are just amazing. Aaron? Yes, Roddy. Also, to put into the pattern that you're talking about, uh, Zechariah, Zechariah 14? Yes. At the end of everything, because that, that's the context of Zechariah 14. After everything is okay. done, every nation will come for Sukkot to Jerusalem. Yeah. Absolutely. Because out of all the festivals, we were celebrating, we were cutting up cows for them, weren't we? Yeah, but we are expecting them to come. God, remember, God so loved the world, right? World. He says, I, I want my creation to be with me. That's all of it, right? Jews and Gentiles, you know, black and white, slave and free, male and female. So, including Moroccan. And, and, and also Yeshua did the great um, invitation on the, um, during the Feast of um, Tabernacles on the great day of the feasts, Hoshana Rabbah, when he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. That was, it says in um, John 7, um, it was actually a feast of Sukkot. Yeah. And we see there that Yeshua was inviting people to come to him during that Sukkot. Yeah, there you go. That's good. That's good. That'll preach. That's awesome. Yeah. And yes, uh, Rory put in a, another, um, the commandment has a condition. I will bless if you are joyful. Yes. So the appropriate response of thanksgiving and gratitude <laughs> is to, to get into the joyful uh, obedience, which comes with a blessing. Right? Obedience is not a burden. It's not something that weighs you down. Okay? And gratitude is not an emotion. Gratitude isn't uh, an abstract you know, um, psychological concept that you're trying to, I will will myself into a state of gratitude. No, you, you, uh, you joyfully go <coughs> willingly. Uh, and as a response, the right response to redemption. Okay. Um, Someone here in this Bible study uh, a week or two ago, we were talking about it because I asked, I, it's a commandment to be joyful. How can you be commanded to be joyful? Yeah. And the response was, what did y'all tell me? It's, it's a decision. We have to make a decision to. It's a choice. But, uh, it's a choice. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it's a choice. And uh, yeah, love is a choice. 
Obedience, obedience is a choice. Obedience is a choice. Yes, it's a wonderful wow. choice. Um, Neville and I have just been doing a, a diaconal class going over the 39 Articles of Faith, and I think we both disagreed with um, Article 17 on predestination, or very, very Calvinistic uh, philosophy. But that was Reformation 500 years ago, so we have to forgive him for that, right? <laughs> we've, we've moved on since then, learned a few things. Um, the Jewish people have a great little wrestling with um, predestination and free will. Like, do we really have free choice? Is God totally in charge? Like, what, what goes on? Um, and they say that uh, everything is in the hands of heaven except the fear of heaven. <laughs> okay? And they, it, it comes out something like this. Hakol hashamayim rak yarei hashamayim. Okay? <laughs> There you go. That's it. You've heard it before, haven't you, Nama? Everything's in the, in the hands of heaven except the fear of heaven. So they give both um, very equal credence, which I think is very clever. Who, who so believes guys, in that? Sorry? Who says that? Sorry. Um, I think it's either Rabbi Eliezer or Rabbi Akiva. It's one of the two. Okay. Okay, so let's put it all together. Okay, timing of this festival is no accident. comes after a period of repentance and forgiveness. It is the last of the three pilgrimage festivals, concluding redemption with thanksgiving. Uh, we temporarily remove ourselves from materialism and go live in a sukkah. We host strangers expecting the Messiah. And uh, we note that obedience doesn't lead to salvation. It is the result of salvation. Um, and repentance and forgiveness are available to all peoples, just what we saw at Yom Kippur and, again, what we see in, uh, in Sukkot. And the most appropriate response, of course, is the call to follow the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, uh, whatever you do during Sukkot, have a good fresh look at the book of Ecclesiastes. See if you can read it as a question and uh, see what, what you come out with it. And, um, uh, and when you get to smell your lemon or your etrog, let's remember that's to be a disciple who has both faith and, and action. Let's put our faith into action. And if you can... Invite as many people as you can. Oh, gosh, in this corona period. <laughs> With a mask on. <laughs> because you, you just might be entertaining uh, an angel who might also have a mask on. Although I don't really know why he would need one. But there you go. All right. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.